Last week we started this new series on the Sermon on the Mount. We made it through the first uh, three Beatitudes, and tonight, by God's grace, we'll be finishing up the, the blessings. And so when you get there, I'll read all eight Beatitudes, but we'll spend only our time considering the last five. So Matthew chapter 5, the big five, and we'll start in the small number two. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, now as we approach your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see Christ. Lord, we know that your word says that you oppose the proud and give grace to the humble. And so, Lord, we pray that you would not make us arrogant by thinking that we don't need these words or that we know better. But, Lord, give us humble and contrite hearts as we approach this sermon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is the true king. Jesus is the true king. And like any king, he has a kingdom. And his kingdom is not like any other earthly kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is a heavenly one. It's a spiritual one. And the values and the priorities and the social norms of Jesus' kingdom are different than any other kingdom that has ever existed on this earth. And we saw this Last week, where Jesus is going up to a mountain and he's teaching his disciples. And at the end of the sermon, the crowds are coming and they're listening to his words as he is teaching them about his kingdom. And maybe the most surprising thing that we will see in this sermon is that the primary way that Jesus transforms his people is not simply by moral reform, by outward signs of expression, but rather... In his kingdom, Jesus transforms his citizens, his subjects even, inwardly, from the heart, by his divine grace. And so last week we began looking at the Beatitudes and we noticed that the Beatitudes is just a simple word for blessings. And Jesus is not simply trying to say, hey, if you want to have a good life, do this. More, more is he actually kind of saying, congratulations if these norms are true of you. Because if these norms are true of you, here's the really good news. You are my disciple. You are in. And so really the Beatitudes begin the perfect foundation of trying to understand this one important question of what actually does it look like to be a Christian. A lot of people, and I'm I'm not sure if you 
figure this out yet, but a lot of people will say they believe in Jesus. But it's a whole nother thing to actually follow Jesus. And sometimes either it's out of confusion or ignorance or whatever the reason is, many people don't actually even know what it means to follow Jesus. And so the first Beatitudes we saw were blessed are the poor in spirit, which Jesus is teaching the ethic of humility. Blessed are those who mourn, who see the sickness and the sin of their own hearts, but they also see that in the world. And because of their sin and because of the injustice of the world, they, they, have a, they mourn over it. But more than that, those in the kingdom of heaven are meek. They would rather suffer than sin. And Jesus comes up to the fourth beatitude. Look down with me at verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I don't know about your parents, but every time I was a kid and I went to a Mexican restaurant, my mom would say this very kind of predictable saying, don't fill up on chips, right? I'm not sure if you remember this before you can actually go into a restaurant, a Mexican restaurant you go and they put all this yummy, warm chips, salty, and they, the really good Mexican restaurants give you like three or four different kind of salsas, right? Right? And you're sitting there and you get your drink and you're waiting for your food and you're just like, you just eat chips the whole time, right? I mean, me and my brothers, like, they're like, we're like five baskets in before the food has arrived. My mom would say, don't fill up on chips, right? Thanksgiving Day comes, you're watching football, the turkey's in the oven, there's this little nice tray of, of, of chips and veggies and dips, and yet someone, don't, don't fill up on chips. Well, why did you put it out here then? Why, why, why are you tempting me like this? Right? Don't spoil your dinner, as our parents would sometimes say, you know, eating sweets before dinner. And there's a sense here when Jesus says, congratulations to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that a lot of us, the lack of palate that we have for things that are truly holy and righteous is simply because we have filled up our palate with other things. You see, what Jesus is teaching here is he's saying to the person who has an appetite, who has a craving, who has a desire, just as much for food as for righteousness, you are blessed. Congratulations. Imagine being someone where as often as you desire water, and food that you would also just as often desire to have righteous and holy thoughts and conduct. That you would desire for righteousness. Righteousness is a very broad word in the Bible. It is used to describe a lot of different things. But what's really behind the word righteousness is really simply what is good. What is holy? What pleases God? 
You know, it's funny, having studied these Beatitudes the last couple of weeks, the one Beatitude that always stood out the most to me was this one. The other ones I, I, I kind of get, maybe they come a little more easier one, but when it comes to this one, when I'm, frankly, when I'm just being honest, what does my heart really desire? What does my heart really thirst for? If I'm being honest, typically it's more me time, easier life, better circumstances, more money. Typically, my, my heart, the things that I think about, don't always gravitate towards the things that are the will of God. Matter of fact, I think a good way to understand this verse is blessed are those who truly desire to see the will of God lived out. When you wake up in the morning, is there any desire, is there any thought, is there any notion in your heart which says, God, in this day, help me to truly live for your will. Help me to treat my, my friends, my siblings, my parents in a way that would honor you. Oh God, I'm so tempted to use my words in a way that is cutting or derogatory. God, give me a heart that desires to have speech that honors you. But like I said, sometimes the reason why we're so amiss on this, maybe the reason why I'm so amiss on this one beatitude is sometimes it's because we fill up our palates with being entertained with always thinking about us. Are you willing to say no to an R-rated movie if you know that ultimately it doesn't please God? Are you willing to say no for how long you spend doing certain things because you know ultimately God doesn't want me to spend 12 or eight hours of my day doing this one thing? You see, again, can I just be clear? It actually means something to be a follower of Jesus. Don't be led into the lie that you can pick and choose the parts of Christianity you want, that how you follow Jesus is just kind of how you are kind of feeling it out. The people in the kingdom of God are people who say, oh Lord, give me a palate Help me to desire your will the same amount that I desire to have water and food. And what's interesting is Jesus promises this beatitude by saying, they shall be satisfied. I think this beatitude, more than the other of them, starts a chain reaction. Um, kind of a little bit of what you reap, what you sow. The more holiness and righteousness in your life, the more it begins to show up and the more it begins to do well for you. And the more you holy, have holy desires and righteous longings and desires that align with the will of God, the more and more you will find your life less like the person who is constantly wanting more, less greedy, less anxious, less Always needing more, right? When you eat junk food, you always need more, more and more sugar. But to the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, Jesus says, you will be satiated 
You'll be satisfied. You'll be full. You'll be filled. You can be a high schooler that is like this, that truly has a palate and an appetite for righteousness. The second half of the Beatitudes now, he moves on to say, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I know we played that silly game, but one of the parables that Jesus teaches, it's very important, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And I briefly explained it earlier, but imagine some, someone owes a large sum of money. They, they can't pay it. They don't know how to pay it. And so they ask to be forgiven, to be pardoned of the debt. And that person who kind of has the note says, okay, I will forgive you. You are forgiven of all this money, of all the debt. Now imagine then the same person who just got forgiven of this large sum of money goes to a friend who owes them $5 from three years ago and has them punished because they can't pay it. You see, the reason why this beatitude is so important is is mostly because of the promise that comes with it. Look what it says here. Congratulations or blessed to those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, Jesus is not saying here, hey, if you show mercy, then you'll get mercy. Right? I don't know how many times I've heard so many people say, I only respect those people who respect me. If, if you, want, you want my respect, it has to be what? Earned. Earned. Praise God that the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. Imagine Jesus saying, hey, I'm not going to respect you or love you and lay down my life for you until you give me the respect that I deserve. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? But what Jesus is teaching here is that typically the person who has experienced the mercy of God, you know your sin. You know the first beatitude. You know that I am poor in spirit. I deserve nothing good coming to me. That is why you are able to mourn over your sin. This is why you are meek and you do not insist on your own way. This is why you hunger and thirst for righteousness. And this is why when you experience the mercy of God, what begins to happen? You can extend that mercy to others. Right? And... I think a merciful person who knows the mercy that they've received typically no longer looks at people who are backsliding in their faith in their faith and kind of looks down on them. The person who has truly understood the mercy that Christ offers no longer becomes the Christian who judges the other Christians because they wear certain clothes or because they talk a certain way. The person who truly has received mercy is the person who sees the homeless person, who sees the people who are struggling, and instead of pride or legalism, they have compassion and pity and empathy because here's what they know. Without the grace of God, I would be the same. If we truly understand this kingdom, we understand that we have only experienced it by the grace and the mercy of Christ. And therefore, because of that, 
we get to experience the mercy of God all the more in our own lives. Blessed are the merciful. I think a good question to ask yourself with this beatitude. When you see someone sinning and it makes you upset, are you more mad about the sin and the dysfunction that it brings and, and, and the hard posture against God? Or are you more mad about what it does to you? I'll give you an example of my own life. My children, I have four daughters, um, they are blessings and I love them from my heart, but they sin. They just do. They fight all the time fight all the time. And sometimes my, my lack of patience, my anger gets the best of me and I just like scream. And don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to paint a picture that I'm like some abusive dad, right? But I will have to raise my voice and yell and get their attention and I'm very upset that I had to do that. The question is this. Am I more mad about how they are acting is now affecting the rest of us and it had to make me do it? Or am I more upset and empathetic that I see this person sinning against their creator and causing havoc and misery around their little world? And it just breaks my heart. See, I think mercy allows us, when we experience mercy, it allows us to view others, not so much as, I can't believe they're doing that, but more as this empathetic where Jesus would look into the crowds and be grieved because he sees sheep without a shepherd. Blessed are the merciful. He goes on, though, in verse 8, we look down. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So also indicative to the person who follows Jesus as king is someone who is pure. Now, there's a lot of illustrations that I've heard about purity and all that stuff. And, and I don't necessarily want to dive too much into this idea of purity, but, but let me be clear. Jesus, one, is not talking just about sexual ethics. Typically, when we understand that word purity, we always have that in the kind of context of, of sexual sins here. But I do think that is part of it. Being pure is someone who has desires and thoughts and intentions and actions that are full of integrity, that are full of righteousness, right? Purity is understanding that a well of water that's completely clean, even if it has just a little bit of dog poop in it, I don't really want to clean it. Matter of fact, a number of years ago in the city of Portland, um, there was this video that was caught. There was a few uh, rowdy teenagers, them teenagers, right? Talking to a bunch of them now. Late at night got on top of this big cement wall and all peed into Portland's huge drinking water, right? And even though 
They did test after test after test, trying to find any trace of their urine, and they couldn't. They still chose to drain the millions of gallons of water that these boys made impure. See, purity is not just simply, morally speaking, trying to do one little thing. It's, it's, a, it's a holistic way of living your life. It's understanding that maybe I shouldn't put before my eyes things that are vile. I should fight and repent of the thoughts of my heart and my mind. Maybe even a good question for you is, what are the things that naturally begin to come up in your life when you move off into daydreaming? When your mind just begins to drift What are the things that you think about? What are the things that you long for? Are they pure? Are they virtuous? Are they for the love of God and for the love of others? And what's interesting in this one is that they shall see God. Now again, every beatitude, there's always going to be this sense in which it's true now, but it's mostly true when the kingdom is fully consummated. It's true now, but only in a way. See, I think, again, that idea of the palate, the more we have a pure heart, the more we begin to see God working, the more we begin to see God's holiness, the more we long for purity and by the Spirit through His Word create right affections and desires, the more we begin to see God for who He is. And I think as Christians, we should always rejoice knowing that one day, this beatitude will be fully realized. You know, that song that we just played a few minutes ago, Jesus, I Might Cross Have Taken, one of the lines says, faith to sight. You will not always need faith. Do you want to know why? Because when you see God face to face, you will no longer need faith. Your faith will be done with. It'll be the real thing. Right now, we need faith. We need to believe. And so I think this is maybe one of the coolest promises. Guys, listen. If you want to know God, if you want to see him, it's those who are pure. I want to say one moment, one thing about sexual sins, though. If there is one sin that will more closely and quickly kill your relationship with God, it is sexual sin. But not to make this sermon legalistic, like, hey, you better go home and don't do these sins anymore, because if you don't, you're not going to see God. That's not, that's not the heartbeat of this sermon. Here's the heartbeat. Jesus, who is pure, who offers to you his very life by being in communion with Christ, here's what we can guarantee will happen. You will begin to be more and more like him. You will desire things like him. You will be pure like him. So how do you become pure? 
spent a lot of time with Jesus. He goes on here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, something I love about the gospel and what I love about the Bible is that Jesus truly transforms that word peace. Now, it was a very common greeting in those days. Matter of fact, you can read when Paul writes his little letters to the churches in the end of the New Testament. He'd always kind of write and start off by saying, Paul, an apostle, and he would say, grace and peace. And I love how Jesus truly brings peace. But that's not the type of peace that Jesus is talking about here. The type of tranquil, you know, calm, you know, intimate, personal feeling of peace. But, but what Jesus is actually talking about here are the people who are actually able to make peace. Now, I'm not even, even talking about the people who wrote the precise tre- treaty or anything like that, but, but more so, very broadly, like, you're not making the peace from war necessarily, literal war. But blessed are those, congratulations to those who are able to bring about the end of hostility between two people who can de-escalate a situation. The people who, when there's conflict in a relationship, are willing to go up and to apologize. Who are willing to say, hey, I feel like there's some tension with with us right now. How, how How can I pray for us? How can I pray for you? In essence, Jesus here is saying, in my kingdom, the people here are not trying to start cultural wars where it's us versus them. My people are not people who are trying to get politicians to be just like them. We're not trying to create lines and divisions. We're trying to bring peace to communities. The ending of hostilities the helping of a marriage come back together, the helping of friendships be reignited. And the promise is this, is that they shall be called sons of God. And what's beautiful about this is that when we are being peacemakers, we are reflecting our divine adoption. God ultimately is the greatest peacemaker and he makes peace with us through who? His son, Jesus. So can I just say something? I think this is really interesting. I, I try to respect you guys for the age that you're in. I know that there are times where a lot of adults will talk about middle schoolers and high schoolers and kind of be like, oh, man, ooh, the drama. And if I'm being honest, there is drama at times with high schoolers. But if I'm also being honest, there's drama with adults just as much. Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice what he doesn't say. Blessed are those who try to solve people's problems when they're not there. Blessed are the people who are easily offended. Blessed are the people, blessed are those who gossip. Blessed are those who lie and exaggerate stories. Blessed are those who pit people against each other. No, none of those. What does he say? Blessed are those who bring peace. 
Can you bring peace in your house, in your friendships, in your relationships? Now, I don't know the exact reference, but in the book of Proverbs, a gentle answer turns away a harsh word. Right? If someone comes at you loud, barking, mad, angry, what are you going to do? Get loud, angry, bark back, turn your back on them? Peacemaker. That's a gentle answer. Hey, I'm really sorry you feel this way. How can I do to help? How can I, how can I help? This is indicative of our Heavenly Father. Lastly, we read this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now notice what it says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It does not say, blessed are those who are persecuted because they took their crazy ideas and applied it and people hated it for them. It does not say, blessed are those who thought that they need to go try to die a martyr's death. No, no, no. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing the will of God, for righteousness' sake. There are sometimes people who are persecuted because of their own folly and short-sightedness. And this promise and this blessing does not come to them. But here's a good example. A man goes to work. And he's told to meet with a client. And this client has this nice little folder. And in it, it has six box tickets to the Seahawks game when they meet in person. Right? And this man says, hey, actually, it's against the law. And it's against my company policy to accept any bribe. I can't. I can't take these. And because he says no, this man complains to his boss and says the employee you will have is incompetent and you should fire him. And, and he comes back and the deal is blown and his boss looks at him and he tries to explain the story, but he has to suffer for righteousness sake. You go to a friend's house and there's, they're laughing about things that you know you shouldn't laugh at. They're watching things you know you shouldn't watch. And you say, hey, I don't feel comfortable with what we're doing right now. And you say that. And you immediately are now kind of labeled as that awkward, Christian, prudish, oh, don't tell that guy a joke. You know, that's a form of persecution. Matter of fact, Jesus actually expands his idea of persecution in verse 11 and 12. Matter of fact, the last beatitude is so important, he expands it. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So in essence, persecution is not just being, you know, the sword put to you, but it's people speaking evil against you. Listen very carefully, high schoolers. Listen very carefully. If you follow Christ faithfully, you will be persecuted at some point. And maybe it's small. Maybe it's just you get made fun of a little bit. Maybe you don't get the job promotion. Or maybe you actually go to the grave because of what you believe. But for those who follow righteousness' sake and they're persecuted, do you know what Jesus says? He's not saying, oh, shucks, man, it's too bad. 
He's not saying, ah, kind of cross your fingers, hope it doesn't happen. No, he says, blessed are you. Congratulations. If you stand up for your faith and you are living righteously and you suffer for it, and maybe you've maybe you experienced this already, and it just brings you anxiety and it's hard and it's awkward, Jesus just wants to encourage you. He says, oh, you're so blessed. Matter of fact, he even says, in verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that is Jesus saying, if you are ever persecuted because you follow me, good things are coming. And like I said last week, the very last promise in verse 10 of this beatitude is for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you notice in verse three, when Jesus gives the first beatitude, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he ends by saying the same promise, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's just what Jesus is doing. He's creating what we call an inclusio. And in inclusio, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to summarize all of the Christian life, all of the kingdom in these values. All of what it means to be a Christian can be boiled down in some sense to one of these beatitudes. And you know what? That makes a lot of sense because every single beatitude in some way or another points us to Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Although Jesus was not necessarily poor in spirit, he was the most humble the one who could be the most prideful came down as a baby and he was born in a manger and he lived a lowly and unremarkable life and died on a cross. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus frequently mourned for the unbelief of his own people. Blessed are the meek. I cannot think of a person who would be more willing to suffer than to sin than Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus often said, it is my food to do the will of my heavenly Father. Blessed are those who are merciful. It was the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners who clung to Jesus. He is merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Jesus never not once had any sin or inclination to an impure idea or thought. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus makes peace by his blood that he's Build so richly on the cross. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus is probably the only person where this applies 100% because he truly was righteous with no sin and he was persecuted. And so, in all of these beatitudes, what do they gloriously remind us of? Of our King. Who's the true king? Who bids all to come and to bow the knee and to follow him, but yet he is a good king who lays down his life, who dies for us, that we, by grace, can be forgiven and enter into this kingdom. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... 
are grateful for King Jesus and for all of who he is and for all of his work. Lord, help us in these Beatitudes to be more pure in heart, to, to mourn for our sin, to learn to be meek. That, that Father, we would have a power that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, help us to be people who are merciful, who realize the mercy that we have received. Lord, help us, help us, Lord, to be pure, to be pure in heart. Help us to see you. Lord, help us to be peacemakers. And Lord, help us to live righteous lives. And if we have to suffer, Lord, let us remember that we are blessed. Pray us all in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Thank you.